SolarWind Media presents Ron Schaefer's podcast. The ravage had already begun. It was dark. It was a small town, somewhere in the western end of Texas. Miles of scrub all around. People were asleep. The single highway that went through the middle of town was abandoned at this time of night. No wind stirred. The moon was out. An occasional coyote howled in the distance, but otherwise, all was quiet and peaceful. The town drunk crawled out of his makeshift shack to piss on the highway. He liked pissing on the highway. It was his way of making his mark in the world. His routine was to sleep all day, drink all night, and pee on the road. His ambition, worn down by the years, never amounted to more than that. He had just finished peeing when out of the darkness arose a thing, a purple glowing thing, a giant thing. It was a monstrous set of men's genitals. It actually had been spotted from the air by passing planes, but no one was really sure what they were looking at. A glowing purple giant dick? Really? They must be mistaken, so the reports weren't taken seriously. Meanwhile, the drunk was caught with his own dick hanging out as the monster approached, and the town would soon be disturbed from its lazy Texas sleep. The creature chugged down the road, shuffling one testicle at a time, left, right, left, right. The drunk peed on himself as he stood and watched. Frozen in fear, the monster had gotten ever closer. So close, it could tell the drunk was in its way. The penis rose up and came crashing down, clobbering the drunk and brushing him away like so much dust. It wasn't until dawn when a county deputy drove through the town that he was discovered on the side of the road. Banged up, he was still alive, but with many broken bones. He mumbled something about a giant penis, but he was presumed to be delirious. He was probably hit by a car in his drunken state and left for dead, which he almost was, from exposure. An ambulance was called for and he was taken to the nearest hospital. The deputy asked around if anybody had seen or heard anything, but nobody had. So the potential investigation stopped there, at least until the drunk recuperated and was able to tell more about what had happened. Meanwhile, down the road, there was more going on that might corroborate this luscious, delusionary wild story. Another town down the highway, no bigger than the first, was also visited by this enormous beast. It came crashing right through a building, so there could be no mistake that something big, mean, and awful was here and on the prowl. People were awakened from their beds to hear a tremendous crash as the monster shuffled through the walls of a general store, scattering debris everywhere. Rushing out to discover the trouble, they saw a purple glowing beast resembling male parts as big as a house, sliding like a snail through the wreckage of the store. They screamed. They cried. They called the police. Cars crashed into each other. The huge revolting form slid across town, knocking over power lines and snapping telephone cables in the process as it went. It let out some kind of unearthly growl as the tangle of cables and poles slammed into it, angering it. And as this is Texas, somebody went back inside and pulled out a gun or two, but by then it was already making its way down the highway and out of town. A shotgun was fired, once, twice, three times, but as it was a shotgun, 
it had little effect on the creature. The townsfolk were in a panic as they tried to pick up the pieces and organize an instant posse to go chase whatever it was that came through their town. While this was going on, I was making my way to find the CEO of Kaboom Industries. I had told Arf Flunk that I was onto something big, but wasn't ready to file my report yet because I needed to check out other sources. Arf, in his usual way, and because we work for the National Bludgeon, said, Fuck other sources! File a fucking story now! So I wrote what I knew, even though I had not confirmed what I wanted with Kaboom. That would have to wait for a backup story to be filed the following week, and as we were a weekly publication anyway, it would take a while to hit the newsstands. So I was okay with filing in two parts, and I didn't have much in the way of journalistic ethics anyway. None of us at the NB did. So I sent my report by Western Union, because ARF wouldn't wait for the mail, and went on my merry way to Kaboom. It was the first time I got the scoop on everybody else, or it would have been had we not been a weekly paper. My scoop on the giant monster penis, as it turns out, was at least a day late because once the monster wrecked the Texas town, it didn't take long for the TV cameras to arrive and the daily papers start printing up pieces on the purple people eater. It didn't really eat people, at least not yet, but the press wanted something catchy to call it and they really didn't want to mention that it was a gigantic set of gonads. Sooner or later they would have to, but for now, purple people eater sounded best. Once the story broke, I was in my trusty, rusty VW when word came on the radio about the attack in Texas. I was torn between covering the action and pursuing my first impulse to track down Kaboom's CEO. I decided to stick with my journalistic impulses, I can hear you laughing, at getting an interview with a man who may be responsible for the predicament we were in. As far as I knew, I was the only reporter who understood the defense connection and the Purple Beast, while everyone else would soon be covering the path of destruction. So I kept on my way to Los Angeles, where Kaboom was based. Godfrey Olson Davis, God for short, was the chairman of Kaboom Industries, and I knew he would be tough to meet. So I dressed up as an Arab, inked up some fuzzy stuffing I managed to pull out of a couch, crazy glued it to my face, grabbed a briefcase from Goodwill, and a pair of sunglasses and went into Kaboom as an arms dealer. Mohammed Joe Libya, I said to the girl at the front desk, I have an appointment with Godfrey Olson Davis. What is this regarding? A multi-billion dollar deal for a new fighter plane, I answered. This was a meeting set up with members of the United States government? No, we were just kicking the ball around with some ideas of our own. I don't have you listed in the book. Are you sure your meeting was scheduled for today? Yes, of course, today. Why wouldn't it be today? Because Mr. Davis is not in town. He won't be back for at least another week. He is... is not... is he? How dare he offend the chair and the people of the United Council of Arab Buyers of Weapons and Things Association Committee. I'm sure he did not intend to offend anyone, sir, but... He has been scheduled for some time to be away at, on these dates. Do you know whom you made the appointment with? Huh. I am an important person with... Syriasia. I do not take down names of receptionists who schedule appointments. 
I'm sorry, but no appointment would have been scheduled over these last few weeks. He is on his private island at the moment. He has a private island? In the Bahamas, yes, sir. Yes, yes, of course, of course. We rich, important people all have our own islands. Why wouldn't he have one? I've got mine, he's probably got his. It was probably a simple scheduling error made by my dunderheaded assistant. That's too bad. I was looking forward to meeting Mr. Davis. I can schedule an appointment for when he returns, if that would be all right. No, no, that won't be necessary. I'll just return to Moroccansaw and meet with him some other time. What's a mere 10,000-mile journey by airplane these days? Unless, of course, you're lying to me. I know about these Americans and their lies. No, sir. Why would I lie about such a thing? One never knows. One never knows. I can always take my business to another company, you know. I gave her the evil eye, just in case, but she seemed completely baffled by my presence. Very well, then, I said, some other time, and I left. Now, I would have to travel thousands of miles east to talk to this joker. I figured that no matter how hot the story had become, Arf wouldn't approve any more of an expense account. So I decided to forge his signature and take it to the company's credit union where I was able to bankroll a lot more cash. I also had to get rid of my Arab disguise and found it tough and painful to remove the couch fuzz from my face. It turns out crazy glue works better than I thought. Also, the India ink I used to dye it seemed to adhere to my face even without the fuzz, giving me a diseased, blotchy look, something I have by nature anyway, which I couldn't help for, since no soap would take it out and I had to move fast as the story was growing. They looked at me funny at the credit union, but gave me the cash I needed, so I stored the VW and took a plane, first to Washington, D.C., where I once again raided the archives of the Library of Congress to find out all I could on Godfrey Olson Davis. I found out where or whereabout his island was located and took another plane to Jamaica. Then I found out that Jamaica is nowhere near the Bahamas, and I took yet another plane to Nassau, where I rented a boat to take me to Davis's island. They wouldn't take me all the way to the island, but dumped a rubber raft and a paddle in the water, then put me in it and told me to get going. Meanwhile, the testicles attacked yet another town in Texas before disappearing somewhere in the hills, forcing the governor to call on the National Guard. The fact that you could lose a giant penis and balls in Texas struck me as odd, and it was a waiting game to find out where it would reemerge next. I came ashore on a tropical paradise. Everywhere I looked, it was a little piece of the gardens of heaven. I even found a couple of naked people wandering around as I hid in the bushes. I found God's house up on a hill well away from the shoreline, and it took me several hours to get to it. It was a splendiferous space-age palace sticking out from the adjacent jungle, like a giant spaceship had landed in the middle of a Tarzan movie. As I got closer, an alarm sounded, and I was soon met by men with guns. I was taken into the basement of the house. I had always intended on taking that correspondence course in karate, but I blew all my money on 900 numbers. Davis showed up soon after I was plopped into a chair without a word to me, the men with guns waiting silently around me. Davis was a small man with a huge zit on his nose who walked around in expensive sweaters, slacks, and hush puppies. The basement was dark and cool and looked like a lot of basements, which I wouldn't have expected considering what the upper floors looked like. Davis walked up to me directly and pointed his zip at my face. Who are you and what are you doing here, he asked. I answered straight at his zit. Wiener's the name, 
Reporting's my game. Reporting what? I work for the National Bludgeon. Oh, that right. So what brings you to spy on me? Are you here to find out about New Eden? New Eden? Where we are. It's called New Eden? A prototype. The real one's much bigger. Where's the real one? You're not here for New Eden. What are you here for? Actually, sir, I wanted to inquire about a defense project you've been funding for years in conjunction with the United States government. Which one? There's more than one? You clearly have a limited knowledge of what I do. Perhaps you should tell me what you know rather than the other way around. I'm talking about a secret radiation experiment in Los Alamos. Go on. Dick's project. Ah, that one. Seems to me there's some falderall about it that just percolated up on the newswires. That's why you're here. Yes, sir. There was much falderall ado on the radio just as I was making my way to you. I had an interview with Dr. Colesore and... That nincompoop? So now your head is filled with Colesore's drippings, are you not? I like to think in other terms, if you don't mind, sir. Come with me. He waved off his guards and led me into a conference room. It was a huge, voluminous room with huge windows bowing out on three sides, which gave a good view of most of the island. Take a look, Wiener, he said, as if standing before a stage curtain on Broadway. This is New Eden. This is what I've built, my creation, the result of the lab tests you are inquiring about. I don't understand. What does this have to do with that? I'm in the business of selling destruction, Mr. Wiener, he answered, somewhat snidely. Without wars, I'm out of business. Without the potential threat of war, I have nothing to sell. With war, I make ten, a hundred times more than I do in peacetime. What more could I ask for than a nuclear catastrophe? I don't know, sir. What more could you ask for? You're probably thinking, if there was such a catastrophe, how would I hold up? How would I escape all the destruction and the radiation? And how would I preserve my money, which would surely lose its value as governments fall by the wayside? The answers lie here in New Eden. While the world was busy tearing itself to pieces, I would be here making a cool mint off the destruction and especially off the rebuilding. Once everything is wrecked, who would be in charge of things? Who would have the assets on which a new currency, a worldwide currency, was based? And where would the healthy gene pool come from to re-inhabit a sickly world? You'll find on the grounds here, and on even the bigger facility we have elsewhere, a science lab, a medical lab, a zoo, a greenhouse and storage, a recycling plant, and a few selected specimens of the human race paid to live out their lives here. I assume you've seen some young naked people walking around? They did catch my eye, yes. We have protective screens for when the radiation begins to settle. Not all are installed yet, but we're getting there. This all sounds just a wee bit megalomaniac. Is it? You see, my boy, I want to be God. I'm already called God for short. I'd like to make it real. I've always wanted to be God ever since I was a little kid. I started with a geranium in a box in my parents' basement. It was my creation, and I ruled it. I've gone on to larger and larger terrariums ever since. Now I own this island, this, this new Eden. 
This will be where I will rule the world in its dilapidated state, ready to be reborn. As you've seen, I even started my own Adam and Eve. I may even personally impregnate Eve with the new Jesus. Isn't this all slightly crazy? Is it crazy to want to be God? Well, now that you put it that way, what does this all have to do with a giant glowing penis? I was the one that got Hitler's brain off the black market and kept it on ice, just in case we ever needed it. What would you need it for? I don't know. We'd have found some sort of use for the damn thing. Yeah, but Hitler? I mean, there didn't seem to be a demand for Einstein's brain. Well, there was, but the family raised a big stink. Hitler had no family, just an army. It had fallen apart by that time. You want to hear the rest of this or not? Go ahead. So we started with radiation experiments on human tissue, mostly for laughs, you know. So we took a couple of shots at Hitler's brain while we were at it. Hell, it was just sitting there. And the explosion? We were afraid to do too much with Hitler's brain for fear of damaging it. After all, you couldn't go out to the store and get another. Well, then this kid came in from the H-bomb experiment, and he was just in pieces. The only thing that survived for long was the kid's gonads, so we took a shot at it. We tried one thing, then another. It was pretty good. It took it all and kept going. It didn't seem to want to die. Of course, it glowed a lot. Mostly purple, but other colors too. We didn't know what the colors meant, but we tried to make a chart of them. Last I heard, they were almost finished with it when the explosion happened. You were zapping this thing for decades and only finished the experiment now? Well, no. We let it go into periods of hibernation for years at a time. And the color coding deciphered was only of several of dozens of different analyses we were doing. And the goal of all this was... How the hell were we supposed to know? No body part attached or detached survived this much radiation for this long before. Who's to say what was going to become of the research? You just zapped to see what would happen? Yeah. What would you have done? Well, I guess not that. Anyway, the thing started to take on a life of its own. We fed it more energy and it started to grow. What we shouldn't have done is stored it in the same facility as Hitler's brain. It would seem these two body parts from two different people found some way to communicate and influence each other. At least the brain dominated the gonads. That's not the usual path such energy takes, you know. I'm aware. So somehow, during the last test, with however much dosage of radiation they gave it, and I had long disassociated myself from the project by this time, feeling that it was proving nothing, they must have given it a bit too much with too much Hitler giving it instructions, too. Then, bang, it gets pissed off, blows up the lab, and walks off. Do you know of its whereabouts or what its behavior since? No, it's not like I'm its father and it knows all about me. Kolsar was the one driving the operation. I just kept the funding going from time to time to make sure the project wasn't shut down. Once I turned it over to the lab guys, I was hardly involved at all. Just enough to fund it. Exactly. So what are you going to do about the situation now? Nothing. It's the government's problem. Let them handle it. But don't you feel some responsibility? And once the news breaks out that you were the instigator, won't you be culpable? In what way? And how would anybody even know? Once my report comes out, how will it come out? You know, now that you're here and know what you know, 
I can't let you leave the island. What does that mean? I began to feel a twinge of fear. It means you're staying here, right where I can see you. But, but people will look. You're that much in demand? Good point. But Kolsor will, Kolsor will be taken care of. I've already got a team out there to recover him. What do you plan to do with me? Hmm. I guess every Eden meets its snake in a tree. How would you like to be my new snake? This has been SolarWind Media presents Ron Schaefer's podcast. Find us at solarwindmedia.com.